Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. It's been more than two years since Mark Johnson was elected State Superintendent of Public Instruction. He's just unveiled a new initiative that aims to make North Carolina the best place to learn and teach by the year 2030. Superintendent Johnson is joining us this week for the full show to talk about this new effort, his legislative agenda, and we're going to ask him about everything else from private school vouchers to the best way to fund our state's significant public school needs. Before we tackle our main topics, we're going to open with our headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Investing in education was a central theme of Governor Roy Cooper's second State of the State address to the North Carolina General Assembly. He urged lawmakers to agree to put a public school construction bond on the statewide ballot in 2020, saying roughly 40% of the public schools are at least 50 years old. He also called for investing more in teacher pay, saying North Carolina is still ranked too low in average teacher pay. He promised more details in his full budget, which is actually being released as we're taping the show this week. So we'll be covering that more in future shows. Village Christian Academy in Fayetteville is under investigation by the North Carolina Independent Schools Athletic Association over allegations that the school used promises of free tuition to lure football players prior to winning the state championship in 2018. Village Christian Academy received state funding via the Opportunity Scholarship Program, actually approximately $120,000 this school year. Three years ago, another private Christian school, also in Fayetteville, was one of the state's top basketball programs, Trinity Christian, and saw its head coach in, in, uh, convicted of embezzlement. Trinity is the largest recipient of private school voucher funding with nearly $3 million in taxpayer funds since 2014-2015. Finally, House Speaker Tim Moore unveiled plans last week to put a $1.9 billion school construction bond proposal for voters next year. If the bond passes, it would provide $1.5 billion for construction and renovation needs for school districts statewide, as well as $200 million each for the UNC system and the North Carolina Community College system. The Senate is pushing what they call a pay-as-you-go plan. They say will save the state money while still providing funds for school infrastructure needs. Remember, you can visit this Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines, as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, State Superintendent Mark Johnson just unveiled a new initiative. He's called North Carolina 2030, and we're going to talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show, Mark Johnson. Thank you for having hey. me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. I, um, all right, first of all, before I, even get, before I get into the serious stuff, I've got a picture. I want to pull a picture <laughs> up of you on the screen right now. We've got, um, you just recently ran the uh, Krispy Kreme Challenge. Um, I think our friend of the show, Alex Granados, took this picture. Now, I want to point out, this is, um, this is you. This is, what, five miles? Five miles. Eating the last of 12 donuts. The last of 12 donuts. Uh, it, uh, kind of odd that I'm saying this is a proud accomplishment of mine, but this was, for many viewers who might already know, uh, I challenged teachers that we should break the record for the completion for the teacher working condition survey, and I said, you know, if we break 95%, I'll run this, this silly Krispy Kreme challenge where you got to run five miles and eat 12 donuts in under an hour. Uh, we didn't break 95%, but we still set a all-time record for our state completion. Uh, so I said, I'll do it anyway. And I trained, not by eating donuts, but by <laughs> jogging. 
And as I was doing it, I was carrying them with me and said, well, I've got only three donuts left in a mile. I've got to do it. And so, well, you know, I was thinking about that this morning. <laughs> Hang on, I got something for you. Because I was thinking, I mean, if you can run, I mean, if you can run, if you can run five miles and eat 12 of these, I mean, we could have an Education Matters Challenge and we'll see if you can eat 12 donuts no. before the end of the show. Can we? <laughs> Uh, we, we have to see how, what kind of uh, survey completion rate we get. All right, all right. We'll pass on that. We'll just maybe we'll just have to think of something good for the next teacher working condition survey. Well, well maybe me and the, the crew afterwards will uh, we'll, we'll house oh, these uh, before the show. But I hope this doesn't bring back any like bad memories. Uh, to be fair, I have not had a donut since. Oh, there you go. Well, I got to say, I've run that thing, but I wussed out and did not like Alex, and I did not eat the donut. So, all right. Uh, thanks for that. Let's get back to the real stuff yes. that's going on. Um, NC2030, I think we've got the logo on the screen mm -hmm. and, a, and a website too. Um, you unveiled it at an event. Um, uh, lots of teachers, educators, uh, elected officials, business community, philanthropic folks, I was there. Um, you're to, to make the North Carolina the best place to learn and teach by 2030. Now there's a lot of elements in it and we yes. can talk about some of them, but, but tell me what you think the most important parts of it are. Well, very briefly so people know how I came up with this and how we as a team came up with this at DPI. Uh, the first two years that I've been in office, I've listened. I've traveled from Murphy to Manio, seen great work going on in our schools. We've done the teacher working condition survey, smaller surveys for educators, and we've engaged parents. So we've been listening, getting all that feedback. This plan sets up uh, steps that we can take starting this summer with the legislative session that will put us on track. It is very ambitious. It is very ambitious to say that we will be the best state in the nation, but it's achievable. It is absolutely achievable we start taking the right steps. What are some of those right steps? It's a lot of what educators already know. Right. One, we need more high quality preschool opportunities for four-year-olds. Right. We cannot keep beating the drum of fourth grade uh, reading proficiency if we don't start earlier right. because you know my daughter's in kindergarten right now. Uh, she had preschool opportunities. I read to her, someone read to her every night. She's hitting the ground running. We know students coming from different right. backgrounds don't have that and we're asking teachers to catch them up five years in one year. Right. We need to get high quality preschool. We need to uh, amend and better implement the Read to Achieve program. Okay. It, it, is, it has a good intent. Uh, but, but pretty poor, I mean, there, no results really, right? I mean, is that fair, right? Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, we have demanded more and more and more of our educators in kindergarten through third grade, uh, but we didn't follow with the 21st century supports they need. And that means not just the tools they need, and that's personalized learning, uh, but also the professional development. We, we focused a lot on assessments right. to know where our students were, but not the steps where we're going to help them. So well, we that's did, early ages. And we focus on, uh, and part of your uh, uh, proposals is about, uh, and you've mentioned this before, um, the high stakes testing and all yes. the testing. So that's something that I think is also part of your initiative is to say that it absolutely we, is. we've kind of got to get this thing back. You know, it's, maybe we went too far. We absolutely went too far. Everyone will agree we went too far. It came from a good place. It came from, hey, we want to make sure we know where students are. But then we focus so much on where students are, we, we took away time from what they need. And that's where I really see personalized learning coming in. And personalized learning is not something that we have to introduce to the entire state uh, from, from zero and go from zero to 100 miles an hour in just one year. I saw this going on in classrooms all over the state. Teachers, principals, they're already breaking out of this system. Uh, that is designed a hundred years ago where it's standard content, standard pace, uh, you know, standard amount of time before a student moves on, 
but some students move on when they're not ready. Some students are, are going too slowly for themselves. Personalized learning helps break us out of that. That's the early years. In the middle grades in high school, uh, you know one of my top passions is career pathways. Right. Career pathways, having an honest conversation, not telling students you're only good enough for this path or you're only good enough for this path, but also not making students feel like college is the only pathway to success. There's so many pathways and we want to educate students and parents what those are so they can make the decision yeah, for themselves. Yeah, that's a t you know, the career pathways is a tough one because I, you're right, we don't want to tell in a silo of people and say you have to do this and, mm. and like I'll be honest with you, sometimes it bothers me because I feel like that we talk about well college isn't for everyone and we should have these other paths but a lot of folks say it you're a lawyer you went to That's law right. school I, yes. mean, I went to four-year university I, I don't know sometimes it's a little bit of it feels kind of like yeah, it's, that's good for other kids. And here, here's what I say to that, because a lot of, especially, you know, I'm a supporter of school choice, and a lot of school choice proponents say, well, you're telling all our kids in our neighborhood don't go to college, well, but you're sending your kids to college, right? right? What I say is, we need to paint the full picture for every student, including what kind of student debt you're going to take on and what you can expect to make after college. Right. If we paint that for every, every student, I've also had a lot of people in a socioeconomic background where their students could go to college, uh, they have told me, you know, my, my student knew that wasn't for them. They went off to culinary school, and now they're a chef, and, and they're happy. That's what they're doing. They went to community college to get some IT experience, uh, and now they're working in Research Triangle Park. This, you're, you're exactly right. This cannot be a pigeonhole, one type of student versus another type of student. This is a broad uh, spectrum that needs to be embraced by everyone. Prepare every child to be career and college ready to have these all those choices all available. the because, choices because the reality is we track kids anyway we yes. just don't say it right? That's right all right let's let's shift it you just mentioned you, you mentioned school choice so I want to go there next sure. if I can um, look you, you have been a supporter of, 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 of private school vouchers of school choice the things that like Betsy DeVos and others in the legislature have been pushing now you saw in my headlines um, I mentioned something about the, the school in Fayetteville but before that like a couple weeks ago that was it's been reported that there are millions of dollars that are being unspent right. in the Opportunity Scholarship Program. I think what the, the numbers I saw, about $17 million this year. There's $55 million in the budget, but only $32 million has been paid out. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question here. Senator Phil Berger's response to that was, we should loosen the voucher rules to get more money flowing. <laughs> um, House Education Chairman Craig Horn said, it's time to right-size the program because we have other priorities in education. Who's right? <laughs> I, I can tell you as a leader of a department uh, that no, we should not we should not loosen regulations for these for these opportunity scholarships. Uh, basically, this is something that reflects on the department that is tasked with getting the information out about them. And just so your viewers know, the Department of Public Instruction does not run these opportunity scholarships. Right. It's a separate government agency. Uh, I do believe that they're. Yeah, but you I mean you do cheerlead them on. I mean, so, I mean, yes. I mean, from your bully pulpit. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, look. I believe in public education as a good. Right. It is something that the the public system of government should make sure that every student has the opportunity to work hard and succeed. I believe that the steps that we're taking in our traditional schools will make traditional schools the best option. We know that right now, unfortunately, we don't like it, but there are some situations where it's not the best option right now for all students. Right. That gives these students an opportunity to succeed. I want to see the day when public schools are the best option. 
And that's why we have laid out a very aggressive, ambitious, but achievable goal with uh, things that we are asking for from the General Assembly to make North Carolina public schools the best place to teach and the best place to learn. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and I, I wanna get more into that because part of that is school infrastructure. So I wanna mm -hmm. get into next, let's talk a little bit about the bond proposals because you've been out there talking about that as well. So, right. so after the break, we're gonna come back with uh, State Superintendent Mark Johnson. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. We're gonna continue our discussion with State Superintendent Mark Johnson. Now we, as part of your NC 2030, one of the, um, you, know, uh, you know, table legs, um, you know, foundations is making this a great place to teach. And Absolutely. one of those, I think the very first one on your list was competitive pay. Okay, in, the, in your proposal, you're saying at least, you're calling for at least a 5% increase. Now, of course, we all know those decisions will be made by the General Assembly. Uh, you're a Republican, it's a Republican majority there. What do you think is going to happen, and what are you sort of sort of what's your, I guess, philosophy on how we should be increasing teacher pay? Well, we have to make North Carolina the best place to teach if we want it to be the best place to learn. And we have the number one ingredient. We have the hardworking educators. I've seen that they are educators working harder than ever. We're asking them to do more than ever. Uh, so we need to not only show them appreciation with a raise uh, and make that very well known, but we also have the teacher pipeline issue. We have less qualified candidates coming into the teacher pipeline, but even when they get in the pipeline, it's a leaky pipeline. I mean, right. we, we, have, mm -hmm. we have new teachers coming out first, second, third year, already feeling burned out, and they move into a different profession because of the competitiveness. It used to be about half, I think. I think numbers I think are it's about 50% of still the about, first, yeah. It's still about right. We I mean, lose right in the first it, three, it is four years. It's yeah. because of competitiveness. So, so we need to focus on, I picked that number, 5%. I said at least 5% because that is across the board. Every educator, uh, if we invest the same amount that we've been investing for previous budgets, uh, we, can, we can do that. But I've also pushed us and said, you know, I want to talk about a 7% because that would help us become one of the top in the South. We are close to being top in the South. We should, that should be our goal. But I've also talked about professional teaching cohorts. Mm -hmm. And professional teaching cohorts would allow new teachers, first, second, third year teachers, to come in earlier than the rest of the teachers uh, in, in the school district in August. They'd get paid for that time. They'd get professional development during that time. Uh, that is very important for the skills they need, but also for the job satisfaction. Right. They need to have that cohort, that group of support. They would then also have a mentor who could be an experienced teacher that could be selected through some process decided by the state, uh, the superintendent and the school board in that district. Uh, and that could be a, a, an experienced right. teacher who also would get that pay bump. Yeah, you know, we hear that from teachers, and you do, I'm sure you've heard it. I mean, they don't really get a chance. The, the mentor program is a little, I mean, look, the, other, the mentor teachers are busy. They're right. teaching too. How many, I'm always amazed at how many teachers never get to watch another teacher teach. Right? That's you know, exactly you right. You know, you never get that. There's no time in the day. Um, you know, there's been some proposals out there about 11-month contracts um, for teachers, and part of that would be to give them 
a little more time for uh, professional development. Now, you mentioned about number one in the southeast. You, I mean, this just came out, so I'm, I'm, you probably, I know you haven't had a chance to see the, probably the governor's budget because he's releasing it uh, this week. But he's calling for a 9.1% increase with, with the goal of getting to number one in the in the south or in the, yes. in the southeast, so so you guys are uh, you guys we are share in line. The same we got, and, you got the Cooper Johnson uh, <laughs> plan for uh, for raising teacher Well, and, and it should be it should be something that everyone wants. Right? We should Shouldn't be able be? to say we are number one in the south. Um, it, that means that we are the we can be the best place to teach because yes, there will be other states with higher teacher salaries, such as Massachusetts and New York and California, but they also have higher cost of living. So when I say best place to teach, we need to look at the entire package. And part of that is just staying very competitive with the median household income in North Carolina. Right, right now, average teacher salary is, is already over the median household income, uh, but we need, to, we need to outpace it even more. We need to be aggressive right. because we need to be able to recruit the next generation of teachers. And that's going to start with making this broad statement about we want to be the best place to teach. Right. We're on the right track, but we have more work to do. All right, I want to get to a couple other things. There's two competing bond proposals now. You're familiar with both. The Senate, we'll call it a pay-as-you-go plan. Um, and then the House plan, which was, was calling for a statewide bond in November 2020. Now, you came out early and backed that plan. You and Speaker Moore, you had a, you had a couple of events together. Mm -hmm. Do you still think that is the best option? Are you still pushing the House plan? Or? I'll tell you right now. I am very happy that there is bipartisan support for over $2 billion to be invested in no, our public not, schools. That's not the answer. Are you, are you, do you, do you going, not favor the House plan anymore? We are going to have to see how this works out over the okay. summer because I can tell you this is going to be a very long summer. This is going to be a long <laughs> session. We know Roy Cooper, uh, he just previewed that his bond is going to be about $4 yeah, billion. $4 billion. Right. $4 billion. Right. So we know the House is not going to go with that. So now we've got Governor Cooper, we've got the House, we've got the Senate, all with the different plans. They're going to be working all summer to negotiate to see uh, what the best plan is. If they want a suggestion from the state superintendent, uh, we can do a $1 billion bond and $1 billion pay-as-you-go right now and call it a day. There you go. But well, I, my, you main concern is, my main concern, truthfully, in all seriousness, is making sure we're being wise, uh, wise spenders when it comes to that, those funds but also making sure we're really focusing on rural North Carolina. Right. Well, there's that, $8 billion dollars in needs, as you know, DPI, yes. I mean, at least. And this oh, was before, absolutely. before absolutely. Hurricane Florence, which we, was, you were on the show six months ago, I think a week before that storm hit. So that, if anything, that made the situation worse absolutely. In, in rural North Carolina. So. And I, I, am, I am very passionate about making sure we get the funds out to rural North Carolina, not just so we, so we don't just patch up, we, re, we, re, we rebuild bigger, better, stronger, true 21st century learning environments for all students. Education is the great equalizer of opportunity. We talk about a rural-urban divide all the time in our policy shows. That is the number one tool yep. we have to close that divide. It is. All right, I'm going um, to ask you, your, um, your friend, a uh, friend of the show, Dr. Eric Hall, um, uh, has left or is leaving and going leaving. back to Florida. Your mm -hmm. state, um, deputy state superintendent, been on the job for eight months. Now, look, Looking at the things that were under him, sort of under the, uh, the sort of the bailiwick of innovation, you got the ISD, which has one school in it mm -hmm. after two years. Mm -hmm. um, the district support, district transformation part of DPI, has basically been eliminated. I mean, through budget cuts. That, that, I mean, I know that the General Assembly foisted those on you, but that whole division is gone. Look, I'm going to be—I'll be brutally honest. When I talk to um, state superintendents, district superintendents. They tell me that the district support 
that they don't bother right now looking to DPI because there's no one there to do to help them and there's no resources. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that a fair um, is that a fair observation? You know, it's fair in a sense to what they used to have. I mean, you're exactly right. They used to have a team that was deployed to go into the lowest performing schools and act as consultants. And we know that work was about 50-50% uh, successful. Uh -huh. uh, it, was, it was not 100% successful. It was 50-50. Some schools that those DPI consultants went into actually did worse. Uh, so that was still not something I supported cutting. Right. Uh, we ultimately had to make cuts, uh, and, and that's where we had to go because that's something that started under Race to the Top, and there are just, there are unfortunately just, there are regulatory jobs that DPI just has to get done. So that, those could yeah, not be Yeah, that was a finite those. amount of money, but yeah, so but it, what but we are what we are doing that I am very excited about is we are actually reshifting all of DPI, so the whole focus of DPI is regional support. So we had one team that went out in the low-performing schools and they had about a 50-50 success rate. Well, but then if somebody called about a curriculum question, you know, curriculum would just send them to that team. If, if somebody called about an accountability question, accountability would call that team and just say, here's, right. here's a low-performing school team. What we are building, and we're building this out now, is a DPI that will, by education regions, have a true education support network. So you, superintendents will have one point where they can call with any question they have about, hey, what's the best curriculum I should use? Right. Uh, I'm having this particular problem with this particular subset. What does the data say we should do? That's what we're building out at DPI. Okay. Do, I wish, do I wish we had more yeah. people behind it? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But we're still going to be strong. All right. We only got a minute left. I got, I, got, I, got a, I got two questions for you, two quick lightning round questions and then a final <laughs> one. Um, do you support giving all public school districts calendar flexibility? Yes. You do, so they can line up. All right, do you support reinstating master's degree pay for teachers? Uh, we're working on that one. That's one where we know we're going to have to really focus on this new idea of master's with the subject. But I tell you, that's why I'm so passionate about professional teacher cohorts, because the local district can decide what the experienced teacher needs to show in order to be that, uh, that master teacher, that uh, mentor, and one of those things could be a mas uh, master's degree. Last question. Uh, we have four Democrats who have announced that they're going to run for state superintendent. You have not announced whether you're running for re-election. This is a perfect opportunity. Are you running for re-election? There is so much work to get done in 2019. Oh, come my, on. My focus is 2019. My focus right now are the students and educators of North Carolina. Uh, this is going to be a long summer. There's going to be a lot of work to get done, but it's good work, and, and I think we can okay. set ourselves on the right path to have a great decade ahead. All right, we'll hear, you, we'll, we'll hear an answer when you're ready to tell us. Mark, thanks for being on. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, after the break, this week's final word. This week, Governor Cooper released his budget, and the General Assembly will soon lay out their proposed budget. K-12 education will no doubt once again be the single largest percentage, thanks to our state's constitution, that places the responsibility of funding a system of public schools for all children squarely on the state, not on local governments. Now, you're also going to start hearing about how much is being invested in things like teacher pay, and then about the limited dollars and what we can't afford. Now, keep a few numbers in mind when you hear that. First, as a percentage of the state budget, education spending has dropped from 52% of the budget in 1970 to 32% last year. If our schools received the same percentage now, they'd be receiving $3 billion more. Now, it's an interesting coincidence, that figure, $3 billion. 
Since 2011, the General Assembly has focused a lot on cutting taxes. Our state's corporate tax rate is now the lowest in the country. Apparently, it still wasn't enough for Amazon or Apple, but corporations now pay about half of what they paid in state taxes just in 2013-2014. Now, according to the General Assembly's Fiscal Research Division, the state will realize $3.2 billion less in revenues for 2019-20 as a result of all those tax cuts. Now, that's $3.2 billion less every single year that could go to paying for textbooks, for school counselors and nurses, for improved school security, for teacher pay, for school buildings, and on and on. You know what, we could also pay for more pre-K slots and maybe help reduce tuition at our state universities and community colleges. Budgets are about priorities, isn't it? Education's turn. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching Education Matters, and we'll see you soon.